The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Tommy is here, uh, and I've got a review to read to start the show, and it's not a That's good one. I love, I love when you read the reviews because it makes me feel good. I, I mean, when when you read the reviews, I feel good about what I'm doing. You already know what's coming because I gave you a heads up on this. Um, this is a review from DC with a lot of numbers uh, in his um, in his Apple. Um, uh, ID here. So he gives us one star out of five. Look, I thought I made it very clear when I asked for people to rate and review this show that we need five stars, not one star. Um, well, and some guys are a little thick. They think that one means good. Okay. You know? Well, and five is bad. Well, I don't think he got the star uh, rating system. Uh, incorrectly. In I think he understands very much, as you'll hear through the review, how to rate us. Uh, he gave us one star, and he wrote, Kevin now transparently self-promotes by reading positive reviews, likely knowing there are a lot of people who want to hear him read their name. Um, let me just tell you that it is true that one of the reasons I read them is to, you know, make it easier to ask for more, knowing that maybe people will think, hey, I'd love them to read my review. But I will tell you that the only reviews we've ever gotten have been positive reviews. This may be the first negative re review on Apple anyway. And by the way, I'm not inviting more of them. Please. Um, that doesn't help us. Number two, he writes, Kevin and Tom have started talking about non-sports talk for maybe 10 to 15 minutes to start each podcast. Talk about boring old guy talk. Kevin and Tom spend countless hours nitpicking every comment from the commanders and trying to find inconsistencies. Honestly, who cares? How about cap numbers, prospects, rule changes, player injury recovery, player news? Why complain endlessly over how Ron refers to the QBs? Once, okay. Twice, okay. Every time you discuss the QBs, tiring. I found better pods, and you can too. All right. Well, look, um, 
We read the we read the uh, Tommy. I go through these okay before every time you're on because I don't do this every show. And any, anybody that's listening every day knows that I don't read these reviews every day. I usually read them when you're on or Cooley's on, and I save the ones that have very nice things said about you and you and me together, or Cooley or Cooley and I together. Um, and we really don't have many negative reviews, but. I will say that he's right. We do spend in the off season, and we are in the off season. For us, we're in the off season because this is first and foremost a football show as much as it is a sports show. We do spend more time, as we used to do on radio, in the off season, talking about more of the things that we wanted to talk about during the high season or during football season, but we never really have time. Although we do. We still do that on the podcast every once in a while, but yes. uh, they, these are things that interest us. I'm interested in what you're doing. You're not very interested in what I'm doing, but I talk about it anyway. I think we're going to continue to do that despite this one negative review. Do you have anything to say well, about that what, criticism? What was it he said that we should talk about? He did not offer any ideas on the yes, 10 to did. 15 minutes of old guy talk. He offered his ideas on how to talk about the football team. And he suggested cap numbers, prospects, rule changes, player injury recovery, and player news versus the endless endless discussion over how Ron refers to the QBs. Okay. Well, I think, you know what? I'd like to help him find that if he goes to nobodyslistening.com. I think he can find that information right now about the, about the football team because there is only one story. There's only two or three stories about the football team, and none of them, except for one about Chase Young, uh, have particularly to do with any of those things he mentioned. Yeah, he, I think, is really into like the the minutia about the football team in the off season. Um, you are we're, right. We're big picture guys. Well, are we? I, I can be a little minutia many times without you. I, I will. I will admit to you know, like we have. I have Ji Hallsell on the show a lot of the times when there are cap related issues to talk about. The cap. I'm actually interested in the cap. You know, we do a lot of draft talks. So cap numbers and prospects and rule changes, which I love and we talk about all the time. You're just you. You, you must miss those shows. Player injury recovery, unless that player is a significant player, we don't do a lot of player injury recovery. Player news, I think we do a lot of player news, but to Tom's point, and I think that, you know, some of you, I understand, some of you agree with some of this, and I and I hear that, you know, um, this isn't the first complaint I've ever had about how about something... Well, for, typically, Tommy, as you know, how about something other than the football team? Can we do more caps? Can we do more soccer? Can we do more Nats? <laughs> and the answer to that is, really, we can't. Or the people suggesting it would be our only audience, and I think they would even get bored. We do it when it's appropriate to do it. Um, but I do, every once in a while, when it gets to the football team, say, can we just do something else? Can we talk more about 
why the offensive line didn't perform well. I, I think we do a lot of that. I actually think we do a lot of that stuff. But I would definitely agree that when I'm with Tommy, it's more of the big picture stuff. And to be honest with you, I think that appeals to the significant majority of people who are listening. And the big picture stuff right now is ownership one, quarterback two, and maybe, you know, count five steps to get to Chase Young three. That would pretty much be the order right now. Now, draft is going to move way up on the list here over the next few weeks, and we will do a lot of draft discussion as we do every year. We're three and a half weeks away from the NFL draft. But you know what? I appreciate that DC took the time to even rate us and review us. But if anybody thinks that this is a good idea, this is probably the last time I'm going to encourage this kind of behavior. I'm kidding. Yeah. What's his name? What's what's the name he's got on there? It's DC, and then I'm not exaggerating. There are three, six, nine, eleven numbers after it. So he 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 says that people are just doing this to have their name uh, read on it, but when it comes time to put his name on it, he puts some kind of obscure signature on there. Whatever. Um, so, you know what? Find his name out for me. I'll put him in the book. <laughs> so, um, I have a recommend, non-sports recommendation to start with, because I don't think I've told you this, because you were last on on Wednesday, correct? You didn't come on with me on Thursday. That's correct. So, right. did you know that it was 30 years ago that Waco happened? David Koresh, Waco 30 years ago, 1993. Well, there's a Netflix special. It's three parts, 45 minutes each part. And I watched it after we had the show on Wednesday. I'm pretty sure we haven't talked about this. And it is excellent. Have you heard about it? And are you going to watch it? Are you going to take my recommendation and watch it? I haven't heard about it. And I'd rather drink a tub full of Kool-Aid before watching a Waco Documentary. Why did you say Kool Aid? Do you have a problem with Kool Aid, or do you are you doing a Jim Jones thing? That's the that's the drink of cultists. Yeah. You know that. Well, Jim Jones, yeah, Jim Jones killed everybody yes. with cyanide and Kool Aid. Yes. Yes. Um, so uh, no, I have zero interest in going back in time and reliving that. Absolutely none. So cults aren't interesting I mean, they to have you. More, huh? Cults aren't interesting to you. Well, they're interesting only in their annoying factor. Hmm. They're only their factor of annoyance. I mean, they should be more interesting now than ever since we have one that's a political party. But, uh, no, I generally are not interested yeah, in it. I'm not, not going to comment on, on that statement. But I, I will tell you that what was really interesting about this Netflix uh, show on, on Waco is all of the film and video they have from that 51-day siege. It's amazing. It's almost as if they thought one day there's going to be a Netflix special about it. They had, <laughs> they had video slash film of the shootout from the, from the in, initial day, which was February 28, 1993, when four ATF uh, 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 officers were killed. 
Then it was constant from that point on for, through the 51-day siege. It's amazing how much video slash film they have from this takeover and this siege. It was incredible. And then, to me, I am actually interested in, like, real how the cult thing um, works. And I'm going to tell you why, okay? I had, actually, you're going to remember a little bit about this. And I'm not going to mention her by name. But you do remember that, you know, when Facebook kind of first became the thing and you and I were doing a show together and everybody was hearing from old friends and old boyfriends and old girlfriends. And you remember, right, when I heard from my very first girlfriend on Facebook? Don't yes, you? I do. You do remember this. I do. Yeah. No, I do remember that. <clears throat> because yeah. we ended up talking about it maybe on the air, and that led to a conversation about Facebook and how, you know, there's all these, you know, connections happening that could have never happened without Facebook. There's no way. Anyway, that my very first girlfriend was a middle school, we called it junior high school. I was in junior high school. I was in seventh grade. Yeah, it was at junior high when I went to school, yeah. too. Um, and for me, by the way, um, junior high school was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And I didn't start high school until 10th grade. Now, my high school added a freshman class my senior year. But I went to junior high, which was seven, eight, and nine for me. Anyway. So my very first, you know, I think it was it, my very first kind of relationship with a girl was in seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And she and her sister got ca- caught up in college, post-college, or no, during college, in a cult. And the cult was in Michigan, and it was religious, And it was, you know, there was trafficking involved. There were all kinds of, you know, these things brainwashed. Now, she um, had a very sad thing happen in her life. Her father um, died at a fairly young age. uh, And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a sickness that took him. Um, And so that was a, a traumatic event in her life. In fact, his uh, second wife uh, also uh, perished in the same kind of, of a way. It was not uh, via a sickness. Um, and I'll tell you who that person was uh, after the show. I'm not going to say it right now because I don't want people to connect dots. Um, but you'll know the person. Um, but anyway, that the process of them getting, it was their mother that eventually was able to get them out of it. And then the process that she had to go through, like, you know, as a teenager slash young adult, I'm going to say she was probably 21, 22, to sort of reverse, and I forget what that process is called, when you're brainwashed like that, and you come out, it's, you know, it's not rehab, it's not excommunicate, I don't, I don't know what, I forget what the term is, but she had to go through that. And ever since then, I've been fascinated with cults, because... I don't know how people... That, that word is deprogrammed. Deprogrammed. Thank you. Thank you. You got it. She had to go yes. through a whole t- deprogramming thing. Um, yeah. I guess the first time I ever heard about a cult, right, was Patty Hearst in the 70s. When the... Uh, what was that, Tommy? Something Liberation Army... Symbanese... Symbanese yeah. Liberation Army. Right. And so... 
I have always been fascinated with how people get sucked into these things. This guy, David Koresh, convinced married men, convinced them to not have sex with their wives, but he would. (laughs) And they said, fine. How does that happen? You can't have sex with your wife, only I can have sex with your wife. And they said, of course. People want to think there's a greater reward somewhere, someday. Yeah, well, they thought he was the second coming. I mean, they yeah. thought he was there the second coming. There you go. It's, a, it's an old Messiah thing. That, I mean, look at. I mean, the ultimate one, the one I am inter- have been interested in, is Jonestown, right? Where nine hundred people yeah. killed themselves, right? I mean, that is still the be all end all of cults, uh, and they they did that because they thought they were going to a better place, and that's you know kind of like the bottom line with a lot of these things. It's really amazing. So there were several, you know, they they released, David Koresh released a lot of the children um, during the, you know, during the 51-day standoff. And some of those children are now grown, and they're a big part of this Netflix special. And they still, they still believe that David Koresh was the second coming of Jesus Christ. And... um, There's one woman who was the mother of a, you know, a, a... small children and she was released as well because they started they took the children they put them into a place i'm not going to ruin it for everybody but this woman is still i mean still believes that david koresh was jesus christ reincarnate and he perished uh when this thing went into flames on day 51 which uh, b- by the way there's always been a very you know that's been very controversial as to who started the fire that ended up killing everybody else that was left among the Branch Davidians. And, you know, if you listen to the FBI people and you see some of the film and video, it looks like three different fires start almost simultaneously from inside the building. It's almost too, like, borderline symmetrical for it to have been anything than an inside job, in my opinion, meaning that I think that they set fire inside that, inside that compound. And he was dying anyway. He had taken a bullet on day one. He wasn't dying. They had, but they, they were, you know, they had some infection, some potential infection. So he may have thought he was going to die anyway. And so he took the rest of them with him. That's my feeling coming off it. I thought it was really well done. I couldn't believe all of what they had from 30 years ago. I remember that very much. So much. Yes. Um, yes. You know, no, some, it doesn't hold any interest in me. Some people would say that this podcast, when we go sports, uh, when we go sports fix 2.0, attracts people in a very cult-like manner. Uh, there's there's great loyalty uh, to to well, we don't, to this show. We don't fool people. We don't fool people into thinking there's any greater reward for them. You, this is the reward. You, you, you try to. Um, all right. <laughs> I want to talk about the women's. Wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. What? I have a new entry briefly to discuss. Okay. A new series I'm watching. Uh, I like fictional uh, chaos. I'm not so much interested in non-fictional chaos because we live it every day. Yeah. 
So I'm not interested in going back in time for that. But I, I, I finally started watching a series that has been around for nine years. And I never, I can't believe I never watched it, but I just never did. Fargo. Oh, okay. The TV series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you watched it? No, I didn't. I mean, I obviously saw the, the movie, which, you know, is one of the, the Coen brothers' best movies of all time. Yeah. Um, but no, I never watched the series. Oh, I highly recommend the series. Okay. Which is on Hulu right now. Uh, it's very derivative of the of the movie and it's produced by the Cone Brothers. Right. The series did. It's four seasons. We just finished season one and the same kind of of tone that you find in the movie is throughout the series. All about Midwestern quirks right. and and bizarreness. So I'm really into that right now. It only took me nine years to finally do it. I've heard it's but, great. Uh, yeah. I'm watching that. It is. It's great. I'd recommend that. The mo- the movie is phenomenal. It's so good. Yes, it is. And the performances yes, in is. that movie with Francis McDormand just nailing the you know the upper Midwest North Dakota slash Minnesota accent. That whole thing was great. And what's his face? Um, you know who? Um, oh God, who plays in the cooler? Who's so good in this? Who's you know? Uh, William Macy. Uh, yeah, William Macy, who plays Lundergaard. Uh, William, Peter or Jerry. William John. Macy from. Yeah. from- from Cumberland, Maryland. Is William he? William Macy. I didn't know that. Yes, he is. Wow. Yeah. Macy's from Cumberland, Maryland. Well, there are scenes from the movie that are recreated with a slight difference in the series, too, and you recognize them right away. You say, wow, that's from the series, but it's not exactly the same thing. William Macy's from Cumberland, Maryland. I mean... Look, no offense to those of you that might be from Cumberland or you travel through Cumberland. I can't imagine that there's anybody more famous in the history of Cumberland, Maryland than William Macy. Well, the only other person I know of note is uh, Sam Perlazzo, the former Major League Baseball manager and coach. Was from Cumberland? Uh, is from Cumberland is from Cumberland as well. I think that's about the only ones I know. Uh, John Cruck was from right across the river in Kaiser's Ridge, West Virginia. Right. Uh, and that's about it, I think. Yeah, that's that's like adjacent to Garrett County, where Cumberland is in Allegheny County. The counties moving north yeah. and west are Montgomery, Frederick, Washington, Allegheny, Garrett. Did I miss one? I don't think so. And Cumberland is right, is the last, Tommy, was it a steel town or a coal town? Or was it both? Do you know? I mean, because there. You know what? It was, it was an industrial town. They had, a, there was a paper mill nearby. Uh, I don't know if it was a steel or a coal town, uh, per se. But it was a very industrial town in its history. It is, yeah. it's right, so that's, Cumberland's basically, I think this is true. I, I mean, I've been, you know, to Garrett County many, many times to Deep Creek Lake and driven on 68 through Cumberland on the way to 219, which you get on to go south to go to Garrett, to, to, to go to uh, Deep Creek Lake, um, which is McHenry, Maryland, Oakland, Maryland, Deep Creek Lake, Maryland, whatever it is. And that is an elevation level of... You know, 
over 3,000 feet. You know, you are in that area of the Appalachians that is um, west of the divide. And on the east side of the divide is Cumberland is the first town. Now, Cumberland's at a pretty decent elevation as well. But you drive through that and then you start going up. You know, you start climbing and you go another 2,500 feet till, till you get to what is really... I mean, you know, I know we've talked about this before, but Maryland really is kind of a cool state in that it is so small. Yes, it is. It's so small and yet has so much incredible physical diversity. It has these incredible mountains to the west in the Panhandle, where Deep Creek Lake is, where they average 120 inches of snow every winter. And that's only two hours and 15 minutes from my house, an hour and 45 minutes from your house. And then to the east, we've got the bay and all the beaches. Yes. It is. It's 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 a very diverse geographical uh, state. Yeah. Uh, let's not let's not give Cumberland short shrift here. Earl Bruce is from the Ohio the State. Ohio coach? State coach is from Cumberland, Maryland. He's not more famous As than William ha- Macy. No, he's not. As is Harry Clark. I don't know who that is. Harry Clark played for the Chicago Bears. Scored two touchdowns in their 73-0 to win over the Washington Redskins <laughs> in, in 1940. Uh, well, I guarantee you and, when old Harry yeah. was growing up in Cumberland, it was one thriving town. I bet you it was. <laughs> A lot more than – look, I don't know what the, the town is now, um, but I think it was one of those places, like a lot of places as you start to approach you know, Pennsylvania and Ohio – that at one point was economically super vibrant and isn't anymore. That's that's my guess as to what it is. I could be wrong about that. Uh, no, you're right about that. It, it's a depressed area. Uh, I used to cover Western Maryland for the Baltimore Sun. And uh, <clears throat> the way that... Didn't you, have a murder, saw, didn't you have a murder trial there that you covered? Well, I've covered... I covered a couple of things there. There was there were actually in Cumberland, there was a dentist who uh, I think tried to kill his wife or killed his wife, and then tried to kill the investigators. And uh, there was a woman there who who put her husband in a wood chipper and and buried him. Speaking of Fargo, uh, yes, yes, really, he was beating her. Yeah. Yeah, so there was there was there was something like that that yeah, was happening I, over there. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember you telling some of those stories, William Macy. Though but I think beautiful country out there. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous country yes. out there. Um, and uh, you know, f- the I, I I know I've talked to Cooley about this, and I've probably talked to you about this before, but my father is a big outdoorsman, like a big fisherman, and. When I was a kid, I did a lot of fly fishing, trout fly fishing, and there are a lot of streams, great trout catch and return streams in Maryland. Um, there is uh, Hunting Creek in Thurmont, Maryland, big Hunting Creek, and then as you go further out, there's this area called Sidling Hill, which is in like Washington County near Hagerstown. Yes, and then absolutely, and then you go out into that area, Cumberland, and then out into Western Maryland, where you have 
Um, oh God, the name of the river that we fished. The the yak the yak. It's like the Yaka Gany or Gany River or something Yo- like Yaka, that. Yokohani or something like y- that. Yaka Gany, Yaka Gany, but they call it the Yak or the Yak. We fished that, um, and so yes, it's beautiful out there. Really pretty, very pretty. Okay, look at what. Uh, it was an industrial town. Uh, Kelly Springfield with man- manufactured tires there. And uh, another company was uh, PPG, which stands for Pittsburgh Plate Glass, was big out there as well. And in the early days, since that's where the Ceno Canal went, that that was part of the big business of Cumberland. And that's where it ends. So it wasn't it wasn't steel or coal, like no, a lot of West no, Virginia. Indu- okay. No, it was it, it was industrial yeah. uh, textiles. Uh, things like that. Remember, Tommy, I think it's either Cumberland or Hagerstown. But remember when Jim has the opportunity to transfer and obviously ends up transferring to Stanford. Um, but one of the jobs that is offered to him is the branch. Is it in Cumberland or Hagerstown? I'm blanking on which one it is. And remember that's you know, when- I remember yeah, there was a purchasing agent or something like that. Yeah. Uh, job, yeah. And Pam... But I don't remember which city it was. And Pam tells him to go for it, and that really upsets him, that she's okay with him leaving. And then, you know, she says, well, I would be devastated if you actually took that job and left. But it was either Cumberland or Hagerstown, I'm pretty sure. Which yeah. is probably a long way from Scranton. See, Western, PA, Western Maryland is closer to Pittsburgh than it is Baltimore or Washington. That's why Deep Creek Lake, for many, many years, now it's huge for the Baltimore-Washington area as well, but for many, many years, it was more of a Pittsburgh resort-slash-vacation destination than it was for Washingtonians. Because I'm pretty sure, mileage-wise, um, Western Maryland, Garrett County is closer to Pittsburgh. It's like 90, maybe 75 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes from Pittsburgh down the turnpike to 68. And it's more like two hours and 20 minutes from D.C. and Baltimore. And everybody that works out there, they're from Western PA. Or, you know. Yeah, a lot of, Ste- a lot of Steeler fans. Oh, my God, always a lot of Steeler fans. I can remember being out there, you know, in the fall and going into a sports bar to watch games, and the Steelers were the number one by far and away. It was it was the Steelers and West Virginia football, which were the two big things out there more than anything else. Okay, we're, yeah, we're done. We, Morgantown is pretty close. Yeah, Morgantown's you know really what? close. Geography, geography is important. Nobody has a globe in their house anymore, do they? Nobody. I, we do. I mean, did you have a globe? Oh, yes. And I loved globes. I loved globes. I loved maps. I loved globes, too. Yeah. <laughs> no, but nobody uses maps or globes anymore. They just say, I'm going here, and this is the route to get there. Right. And they plug it into ways. No one looks at, uh, <laughs> right. No one looks at a map anymore. Uh, and, I mean, I used to have a globe. We had globes for years. I don't think a lot of people have globes anymore. I'm glad to hear that you do. Well, we do. I've, we've always had a, a globe in the house. And I 
I loved geography. I loved maps. I loved looking at maps. But Tommy, the conversation that you're 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 you know pushing up on is the one about my kids and those of you that are listening. Your kids, they without their phones, without GPS, they wouldn't be able to get anywhere. Their sense of direction is so much worse than mine. Hell, yes. for much of my adult life, if I was going to a meeting in Pittsburgh, let's just say, I had to have them fax the directions, you know? Like, here's we are, fax the directions. And then I would always have a map in the car, always had a map. And now... Yes. And uh, now- I, I, I emphasize the importance of geography to my kids. I didn't teach them much, but I taught them that so much so that whenever we would cross the Susquehanna River, mm-hmm. I mean, I would, when, when we would cross the river, I would, like, tell them where this river goes, where it ends, kind of what it means, things like that. I did the same And we thing. crossed the Susquehanna so many times yeah. that now if one of us is driving and we happen to cross the Susquehanna River, we text to the everyone else in the family, <laughs> Susquehanna. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I did I did the same thing. I was very like but you know like my like my my kids if we're going downtown somewhere they're like do you know where you're going without plugging into the phone I'm like yeah I know where I'm going. Like but because first of all DC is a very I I think it's a very easy city to go or to get around in. I mean, L'Enfant sort of planned it that way to make it easy with lettered streets and numbered streets and, you know, the whole thing branching out from the middle of the city from, you know, northwest, northeast, southeast, southwest, the whole thing. I think it's an easy city to get around in. I've always felt that way. They couldn't get from Bethesda to, you know, the Air and Space Museum on Independence Avenue without their phone if, I mean, if I paid them a thousand bucks to get there, they couldn't get there. That's pathetic. Now, what do you think the impact on that is for them? I mean, by the way, this goes for everything. I mean, we've talked a lot about just social interaction versus buried in their phones or buried on their, you know, laptops or et cetera. But the, the the lack of being able to get around, I'm not saying that it hasn't improved the, how you get around because many times, you know, hey, here's how you get to our offices in, uh, you know, in Philadelphia. And many times I'd have to stop the car and look at the map and it definitely probably made it a lot slower and added time to everything. So it is more efficient, but I don't know. I think they're missing out on something maybe. Hey, one last thing. What? Do you think DC, with all the numbers, is still listening to this podcast right now? <laughs> well, actually, but, but but I want to mention one other uh, one other thing. So, my nephew and his wife were in town over the weekend. They live in Dallas, um, and he's a great dude, and she's great. And they came over for dinner Saturday night, and we we were watching the Final Four. I said, I want to watch the Final Four. You guys come here rather than us going out, and it was fine. And it was her first trip to D.C. She's from Denver. She went to school in Texas, went to SMU, and has lived in Dallas uh, for several years. And it was her first trip to D.C. I'm like, that's interesting. Usually, you know, usually, you know, especially if you go to certain schools, there's a chance that you took a field trip to Washington at some point, but she had never been here. And so um, 
And so she asked me the following question. She said, so how would you describe Washington? And I said, what do you mean? She said, like, where do you live? And I said, I live in Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. Because her husband, my nephew, says that he's from the Mid-Atlantic. And I said, I would never describe myself as from the Mid-Atlantic. They're two different things. If you're saying what part of the country do we live in, yes, Mid-Atlantic is is a description. Although what's funny about that, Tommy, is I don't think if somebody asked me what part of the country you live in, my answer would be the East Coast. And that, and she said, you're on the East Coast. You don't live in the Mid-Atlantic. You live on the East Coast. And I said, that's the way I would describe it. I mean, I have always told people, even, even if I lived in Maryland, which, I've, uh, which I lived in most of my life, I'm, whenever I'm somewhere, I always say I'm from Washington, D.C., you know, I, I, I don't say I'm, I live, I'm from Bethesda or I live in Bethesda. I live in Washington, D.C. But if you were to describe what part of the country you live in, what would you say? Well, uh, I would say Washington, D.C. I mean, for me. But the part of the country. I always, it, the part of the country? Yeah, like I just described. I said I live on the East Coast. Like, you know, if somebody didn't know where, I mean, I'm not suggesting that she didn't know where Washington, D.C. was. <laughs> Maybe I'm suggesting that. Um, here's what I, would, here's what? what I would say. I would go by what Amtrak says. I live in a northeast corridor. I, I agree with that, too. But we're I mean, that's what Amtrak calls it, from Washington to Boston. You know, the Northeast Corridor, but or from Washington to New York, maybe. We're technically in the Mid-Atlantic, though. We te- The Mid-Atlantic starts with... I know. Yeah, okay. And goes to the Carolinas. I get that. We're below the, we're below the Mason-Dixon line. That's right. I get that. Okay. I understand that. But I would, say, I, I would say I'm from the Northeast Corridor. I consider myself a Northeasterner, not a Mid-Atlantic person. I agree with that. I, I, I have more... I have more in common with the people above us who live above <laughs> us than the people who live below us. I, I, well, see, that's that's another conversation, and we can save it for another day. But I think Washington. <laughs> no, no, I'm not talking about that from a political standpoint. I'm saying I think. No, I mean, I mean geographically. Yes. So I think that Washington, for many, many, many years, up until the last twenty-five to thirty, maybe. I'll say since 1993, I think it was kind of much more of a southern town than it was a northeastern town. It was a little bit sleepy. It was, you know, put it this way, New Yorkers hated Washington. I mean, John Adams didn't want to, did not want the White House to be in Washington. He preferred to stay in either Philadelphia or Boston, but the... Washington in the last quarter century, I would say maybe longer than that, 30-plus years, has become a totally different city. It is a northeastern personality city. So Boston, New York, Philly, D.C., that's your northeastern cities. And then Richmond is the beginning of the south. But I think there was a time, Tommy, when Washington was considered more of a southern town personality wise and i'm not talking about geographically i would agree absolutely okay uh 
We'll get to the uh, NCAA women's college basketball final. There is a lot to that game. We will get to the men's final tonight. I have a smell test pick, 2-0 and on the smell test over the weekend. And a lot more as we spent the entire segment today, D.C., with 11 different numbers talking about <laughs> non-sports. It's, the, uh, it's our show. It's Kevin and Tom today. And we'll get back to it right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Morris will let it fly. Why not? It's been that kind of night. Kim Mulkey in year two has orchestrated a turnaround for the ages. LSU has captured its very first national championship. So did you watch the game yesterday? That was, by the way, LSU beating Iowa in the women's NCAA basketball championship game yesterday. Did you watch it? I'd like to say that uh, as an enlightened male, I did watch it, but I didn't. I watched the Nats game. Okay. Nats and the Braves. And the Nats did. won, and Mackenzie Gore pitched great, right? Yes, they right? did. Uh, that's, that's good. Yes, they did. I mean, look, the Nats are, are not going to go winless for 162 games. Yeah. <laughs> Who said they were? They're oh, over under. I, mean, okay. I know. I'm kidding with you, but there was, they're going to win somewhere around 55 to 60 games. So this was one of the 55 yes. to 60. So we yes. can come in here and be happy. Maybe another 55 to 56, 57 more times, but that'll probably That's be pretty it. much it. Yeah. That's pretty much it. <laughs> but uh, he, Mackenzie Gore looked every bit as the stud that they thought they were getting when he came in the Soto trade. Now, there's a long way between April and August, so we'll see how it goes. Well, that's good. Um, I know that the first two games, that, that stud shortstop, C.J. Abrams, could not throw the ball to the right team to save his life or field a ball. He had three errors in the first game, didn't it? Wasn't it three in the opener? Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. And I think he yeah. may have had and, another I mean, one in Corbin, Saturday. Pat, Patrick Corbin, who can't afford to have anyone make errors behind him. You know, yeah. You know, before the game started, I told somebody. I said Corbin will have a hundred pitches by by Eight, the end of the 85. fourth inning. Yeah, eighty-five yeah. after three. 85 you you would have been right. Innings. You would have been right had they I put know. him out there for a fourth. Oof. I know that's standard operating procedure for their uh, 
24 million dollar pitcher. Uh, but uh, but it was it was it, and the know the game took two hours and 17 minutes. Oh my God! I know yes. that the game on yes. Saturday was 221 because I looked it up. I think it was 221. The first game was the over. The opener was long. Yeah, it was over three the hours. The opener was over three hours. Yesterday was 217. Holy shit. That is unbelievable. So overall, and I haven't followed this story, um, I'm assuming I, on, on sa- uh, yesterday I looked at, I just looked at all the box scores and the times. I was just curious. And they were all in the two you know, two hour, 30 something minute range. It seemed like every game was flying by. Do we, do you know what the actual data is through the first weekend of the season? Yes, I do. Uh, it's at my fingertips here. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. The first four days, uh, okay, uh, 50, 2002, 49 games, 2023, 50 games. Time of the game in 2003, the average for those 50 games, 2 minutes and 38 seconds. The average in 2022, 3 minutes and 9 seconds. Wow. That's incredible. 36 minutes difference. That's amazing. You said 233, right? You said 233. What? Average 238. Oh, 238. Average of 238. Wow. That's unbelievable. Compared to 309. 31, is 31 up, minutes less. And and stolen, pace, stolen bases are significantly up. I saw that from opening day. It was unbelievable. Yes. And there were 40 pitch clock violations over 50 games. Any that really impacted the game? Not that I recall. Okay. I, 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 don't, I don't know the whole landscape, but uh, none that became a major story, that's for sure. All right. I am... Um... I played golf yesterday, but when I was done playing golf, the game was midway through the first quarter, and the room in which I walked into, there were a lot of dudes watching the game. Uh, Tommy, this last week, there is no doubt that there's never been more attention on women's basketball. I'm not talking about women's college basketball. I'm talking about women's basketball. This is the most buzz in my lifetime for women's basketball. And I watched from middle of the first quarter on through the rest of the game, and then I watched a lot of the post game. So I'm going to share with you um, some thoughts. And then, I'm, then we're going to get into what everybody was talking about, which was Angel Reese taunting Caitlin Clark at the end of the game. And yes, that's taunting people. That is taunting. You can say that you're okay with it, um, but don't try to describe it in any other way because you're being disingenuous. That was taunting, in my opinion. And Tommy has seen what the controversy was all uh, all about. But let me just quickly speak to the game because it really was an incredible basketball game. It wasn't close. Okay, LSU won by 17. They won the national championship over Iowa 102 to 85. First of all, the score at halftime was 59 to 42. They scored 59 points in the in the first half. These aren't 12-minute quarters, they are 10-minute quarters. A 20-minute half. You don't see men's college basketball teams score 59 in a half. Um and LSU's not a high-scoring team. They averaged I think it was 65 and a half points in their other tournament games. They almost had that at halftime. So there are a couple of things that stood out to me. 
because I don't watch a lot of women's basketball. I'm just being honest. I think most of you probably had a feeling that I don't watch a lot of it because I don't talk a lot about it. I I did watch earlier this year Maryland play Iowa because the rematch in College Park was, you know, already Caitlin Clark was starting to get this buzz about how she was the best player in college basketball and she's an incredible shooter and all this. And Maryland destroyed them in the regular season in College Park. Beat them by like 30 um, and, and, and shut down Caitlin Clark. I think the head coach of, of Iowa gave Brenda Freeze a ton of credit for kind of learning how the right way to defend her and then making sort of adjustments to that. Anyway, Tommy, the shooting in this game yesterday was unbelievable. Like, I, there were moments in which nobody missed for like three minutes. LSU shot 64.7% from behind the arc. They shot 54.3% for the game. Iowa got beat by 17 points and shot 46.7% from behind the arc and 50% from the game. The shooting was wow. lights out. The the um, Carson girl for LSU, and by the way, I'm not watching this game with any sort of understanding or context and of who these players are. At this point, I've seen a lot of highlights of Caitlin Clark, and I didn't watch their upset win over South Carolina. I saw all the highlights of it. She went for 41 in one of the biggest upsets that women's basketball has seen in a long time when they won the semifinal game on Friday night. And I have watched Angel Reese play because she was at Maryland last year. She is Julian Reese's sister, Juju Reese's sister, Maryland's starting center who played so well this year and may have been the most improved player in the Big Ten from the beginning of the, uh, of the season until the end of it. But this girl Carson in the first half was six for six, was five for six from behind the arc. She had twenty one points at halftime, and they couldn't miss. The shooting was off the charts. Second observation: the passing in this game was outstanding. Like the ball movement, the passing, the 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 look ahead on fast break opportunities. This game was played with some pace that you just don't see in the men's game. Uh, there were 42 assists in the game on 66 made shots. The passing was great. The defense for Iowa sucked. Sorry. And I know that the foul trouble had a lot to do with it, and I'll talk about the officiating here in a moment. But I can't tell you. I mean, like I know that, and people have told me after the fact because I talked about this on the radio show, well, they, that's the way they defended South Carolina. They were giving them everything from the outside. And LSU was not a very good offensive team coming in, not a good shooting team. And so they were playing underneath every screen, playing drop coverage on every ball screen, and just giving up the open shots. And that's what they were doing, and they never adjusted. Now, you may say it's because of their foul trouble to their best players. That's fine. But the defense in this game wasn't very good, especially from Iowa's standpoint. I had somebody, um, oh God, who texted me this morning? and said this was like an ABA game. Like they said there was just no defense. And there was, certainly yeah. wasn't with Iowa. The officiating got a lot of attention yesterday. It was bad. I agree. But, God, it seems like every high-profile game where everybody's watching and a lot of people – there were 5.5 million people to watch the semifinal game. So I'm expecting that yesterday's game on ABC, on network TV, did probably the highest rating in the history of women's – basketball certainly uh, well I mean there's no WNBA game that's ever gotten I don't think 
a big rating. Um, so this will yeah. be the most watched game of all time. I think it'll end up being that. But um, I, I feel like every time, like NFL playoffs or an NFL Monday night game or a Thursday night game, we're always talking about the officiating. Doesn't it seem like in recent years, officiating in every sport is a problem and we're always talking about the way the game was called? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not something I have a strong taste for. I mean, because I always subscribe to the theory that there are 100 plays in a game that decide a game and any one of them could decide it, not just the one where you got screwed on the call. But, uh, you know, we live in the age of conspiracy theories, and people are convinced that their team is getting screwed somehow through some kind of dark power, you know, pushing the buttons behind the scene, to, you know, saying, we want this team to win, we want that team to win, and that's how things are going to go. So, I mean, it feeds into this whole, you know, the whole conspiracy era that we're living in. People just don't get pissed off because of the call they get pissed off because they think there's some kind of motive behind it. This was a ba- badly officiated game, but like you're saying, and I said leading into it, I just feel like we feel this way all the time now. And you, you just, uh, you know, I don't know if refereeing's gotten worse over the years or better. I have no idea, but certainly social media makes us talk about it a lot more and share those feelings in sort of a community um, uh, environment more than ever before. Now, Caitlin Clark's technical foul for tossing the ball behind her back in a very non-demonstrative way um, after a, a call that was a horrendous call against one of her teammates without saying anything to the official was a ridiculous call. Ridiculous it was, call. Should have been. You know, if you're the referee in a game like this, you, 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 you talk to her. You say you can't do that. Don't do that again. You cannot. You don't give her a tech. That's her fourth personal foul. You cannot make that no. call. It's that, speci- that's ridiculous. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Kim Mulkey, yes. is that her name, Mulkey? Yeah, Mulkey. She's grabbing, she's grabbing the official on the sidelines. Yes. Yeah. And she's not getting called? Exactly. I was going to say. I, I, I mean, here's Kim Mulkey, who is just out of control. On the sideline, and she literally, in complaining on a call, bumped a referee. And they're going to call that on Caitlin Clark and not tee her up at at any point of the game? I I don't get that. Look, I'm not – there's a lot that we may be missing from the way these games are officiated, but that made no sense, and everybody seemed to have an issue with Caitlin Clark. Um, uh, per, uh, uh, technical foul, which ended up being her fourth personal foul, and there was so much time left in the game. But I do want to make this one point before I talk about Caitlin Clark and we talk about the end of the game to finish up this segment. Number one is, I watched enough of that game that if they played best of seven, LSU would win four games to two, four games to one. They were the better team. They were the more athletic team. They were the better defensive team. They were the better rebounding team. They were the more physical team. They were the better team. Uh, Did it matter that their best players were in foul trouble for much of the game? Sure, it mattered. Do I think it would have mattered to the final result? I don't. That's my, my, my point of view. I just thought in watching that game, not knowing much about either team, really, I the better team to me was LSU. Now, on Caitlin Clark. 
So it's the first time other than that Maryland game, which she was not effective in. And it was, I guess, the worst game of the, of her career, I guess, against Maryland this year when they got blown out by the Terps. In fact, I want to just look at what her box score was from that game. In that game that Maryland won 96-68, to she had 18 points on 5 of 13 from the floor, 4 for 10 from behind the arc. So yesterday, and, and I've watched a lot of highlights of her recently, She's really good. She's as good a women's college basketball player as I've ever seen, but that doesn't mean much because some of you will have much more perspective on this. But I'll tell you what, Tommy, she can shoot it. She gets separation without great athleticism, and she's got a super quick release. And her range is Steph Curry range. I'm not talking yes, about Steph, Stephanie Curry range, like the female equivalent of Steph Curry. I'm talking about Steph Curry range. Like yes. she's no, inside right. half court. Remarkable range. She's yes. in range, and she's got a super quick release, which I've talked a lot about that over the years that, you know, if, if you're not able to create space in today's game – and you're playing a team that plays good ball screen defense, you're going to be in trouble if you don't have quick release. But she's got really good ball handling skills, and she doesn't need a lot of space to get it off. Really impressed with her offensive ability, especially, especially shooting. But the, most thing, the, the thing that I'm most impressed with, she's a great passer. Like, she is – I mean, so I've seen all – you know, she's Steph Curry. She's – um, she's Larry Bird. She's this person. She's that. She does pass like Larry Bird or Magic Johnson. She has such great vision, such great anticipation. She turned the ball over six times on passes, three or four of them that I thought were the right passes when they left her hand. It's just that LSU was so good, um, you know, defensively and long and the whole thing. But God, what an impressive passer she is. She's really, really, really good. I enjoyed watching her play in that game. I enjoyed watching the um, LSU players and watching Angel Reese play. I know that she's set the record for double-doubles in an NCAA tournament. She's an excellent player. She was. Uh, I, I, somebody, um, somebody texted me and said, you said she was such a great rebounder. She only had 10 rebounds yesterday. And I said, I texted back to my buddy, I'm like, yeah, that's because Iowa didn't miss many shots. Like, to get rebounds, they actually have to miss the shot. And they shot 50% from the floor. So she had 10 rebounds and six offensive rebounds. And the only reason she didn't have more offensive rebounds is her own team didn't miss many shots. There weren't many rebounds to be had in the game, you know, when you're talking about those kinds of shooting percentages. But anyway... um, Caitlin Clark, very, very impressed with. The game, I I thought, was really entertaining. I thought it was high-level basketball from my knowledge of watching women's college basketball. So let's get to the end. Um, I'm sure most of you have seen this now. The final seconds of the clock are ticking away. LSU is going to win their first-ever national championship in basketball, male or female. How many of those Pistol Pete teams, Tom, were really good and national championship worthy? Do you remember? Well, back then, those were the UCLA days. Right, true. 
I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was a, a one-man team. I think back then, you know, him and his father Press was the coach, and the whole thing was just to let Pete take the ball and score. I mean, he still has the scoring record, uh, NCAA scoring record, without the two-point shot, without the three-point shot. So I don't, I don't remember them being a factor very much in the uh, back then in those tournament days. Okay. I mean, Dale Brown um, at LSU, Dale Brown got that team to, I think, two Final Fours. Not a national championship game, but they were in the Final Four uh, the year that Indiana won the whole thing over North Carolina on the day that Reagan got shot. They, they lost to Indiana, and North Carolina beat Virginia. And then they were also in the Final Four a few years later with Dale Brown. Dale Brown, I mean, and, and did, they, didn't, they did not get to a Final Four with Shaquille O'Neal. I'm pretty sure. No, I don't think they got to a, a Final Four with Shaquille O'Neal. So anyway, um, as the final seconds were ticking off the clock, the Angel Reese for LSU for eight to nine seconds followed Caitlin Clark around the floor and taunted her. She did this thing that you know of as a John Cena thing. I didn't know what it is, where you wave your hand in front of your face and it is um, uh, it is the... Uh, uh, oh my God, I'm forgetting what they call it now. It's the, you can't see me. You can't see me. That's what it yes. is. I was not familiar with it before yesterday. I'm not going to lie to you. I, you were though, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, she's, I was familiar with it. she's doing that right in front of Caitlin Clark's face. And then, um, after she stops following her and walks away, she's still looking at her and pointing to her ring finger. Like we got the ring and then the horn goes off. All the while, her teammates and coaches are celebrating and hu- hugging every, uh, every, each other. She's taunting Caitlin Clark. Now, uh, let me just give you my perspective, and then I want yours. I saw this as it was happening, and I'm like, wow, that is low-rent classless. But I also thought, I don't know the context of this. I don't have any history about the two of them together or what Caitlin Clark is, but I've learned a lot since the end of that game because it dominated social media from the end of that game until probably still today. And what I've learned is that Caitlin Clark's quite the trash talker herself. You know, she did the um, you know, she did the same thing, the John Cena thing, you can't see me thing in a game against Louisville in the tournament. Now, not directly towards a player, not following a player for eight to nine seconds, but apparently she's a pretty good trash talker. And so is apparently Angel Reese. She's got some of that history as well. And look, general trash talking is a part of sports. You know, you don't have to be in favor of it. You don't have to like it, but it's in every sport, male, female, pro, college. It's at the youth level. Trust me. I've lived with it and dealt with it, and it's not something that I prefer at the youth level at all and wouldn't stand for it when I was coaching. But that's beside the point. I, I put... Um, like the, you know, we we all know what trash talking is, and you know you're mouthing off in the midst of a game, and there's kind of a general category of trash talking, which is what I think both of them have been pretty good at. What happened at the end of that game, though, was different for me. 
I don't care about Caitlin Clark being a big-time trash talker. I don't care that Angel Reese has felt like she's been disrespected the whole tournament or the whole season. Eight to nine seconds of following a player and, and taunting that one player as the clock is ticking down and your teammates are hugging each other and your coaches are hugging each other and your head coach, after berating the referees for 40 minutes, is now in tears of joy. I thought that that was over the top. I don't care. I I cared about the context. I now know the context. And to me, that was different than your general trash-talking category. Um, And I did not think that it was a good moment for her or for the sport. Now, with that said... I think the overall game in the weekend and even the controversy associated with what happened at the game at the end of the game is great for the sport. More people are talking about that and the game and Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese than have ever talked about anybody in that sport. And I think they've got to take advantage of it by playing a game early in the season on national TV next year with the two of them going head to head. That would be a massive, massively watched event. They have a chance to take advantage of the momentum of this with both of these players coming back next year to create a big time event on TV. But that's all I have to say about it. What do you have to say about it? You know, I agree with almost everything you said. Uh, You know, uh, I was never a big trash talker or a big fan of it. I mean, I always felt like uh, my way to shut somebody up was to just you know, just beat them, and, uh, you know, and I know that's in a minority, and that's a certain generation as opposed to now, per se. Uh, But uh, here's the question I would ask people. Uh, With all the context included, you know, with all the, well, Caitlin Clark does this, and now you're going to criticize Reese for doing this. Would you want your daughter to do it? Would you be proud of your daughter doing that? And I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be either. But I think there are some people, you know, using the context. And by the way, the further context that she gave when she said that she's essentially been referred to as too hood and too ghetto after the game, um, there are people out there that would say, yes, it was appropriate because... And, by the way, and this is where I completely disagree with it, but, you know, I know how I feel, that you wouldn't be having the same conversation if Angel Reese were white and Caitlin Clark was black. That's bullshit. I absolutely would be having that conversation if it were the same way, and it wouldn't be any different than the conversation I'm having now. Um, But, anyway, I, I, no, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't be no, pr- I, proud of I it. Would, now, I don't think it's – now, I, I think you're right. It will have a tremendous impact uh, moving forward and will probably even enhance yes. the women's game more, the controversy. Uh, but I'm not that worked up about it, okay? If she wanted to do that, that's fine. I just say if that was my daughter, I would rather that she thought enough of her teammates to celebrate with them rather than to, to spit in the eye of – of her opponent. Well, I can tell you this. Let me be really clear. If that were my daughter or if that were my son um, and they were a little bit younger, 
uh, they would not have liked the reaction at all. And if they had, and I don't think they would have ever done it again. If they respected their father, it would have never happened again. Um, but let me just mention one other thing, and that is, I understand the clock was ticking out on the national championship game. There would have been three flags minimum in the air in the NFL game for what she did to Caitlin Clark. If that level of taunting, personal taunting, had happened in an NFL game, three flags, five of them would have been in the air. They would have been throwing them from you know 30 yards away. How did she not get teed up? I again, maybe it's because uh, this game's almost over. There are 12 seconds, t- you know, left. The clock's ticking out, but it was so it was so egregious. Yeah. Did the refs have the context of Caitlin Clark's a big trash talker, and she did the 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 thing with the hand in front of her face against Louisville? Uh, and they just you know they thought it was okay that Angel Reese you know reacted that way, or was it? The clock ticking out, or uh, does it take a hell of a lot to get teed up in college ba- in women's college basketball? Because the coach didn't, and Angel Reese didn't. I mean, in any other sport that we watch a lot of, that is a tee or a flag immediately. Like there's, it's not even close in the college men's game. Any sort of, by the way, Angel Reese's brother. Julian Juju, who's really good now, can't wait for next year. He got he's been teed up several times in his first two years with taunts, and you know, and it's and it's nowhere near what his sister did. Like some of them, I was even like, Jesus, you're going to tee him up for that? That's what every other sport. But apparently, what she did was not technical foul worthy. That's amazing to me. I- Again, you know, uh, even if I felt that uh, everything she said, that Angel Reese said about what she's been through and how she's been spoken of was true, I still would want my daughter to be better in that moment. Of course. I totally agree with you. And, yeah. and, I, and I understand when some of that comes out emotionally in the heat of competition with competitive people. Understood. Okay, but it doesn't make it right, and it doesn't mean that you can't be competitive, as you said, and just, they whipped their ass. They won by 17. That's your answer. Now, now if there's trash talking during the course of the game, I mean, we've seen it from everybody. White, black, purple, magenta, doesn't matter. There's trash talking in all the sports. But that was not trash talking. That was taunting. That was an eight to nine second personal tirade taunt at Caitlin Clark. And to me, it was over the top. No matter, again, I wanted to learn what the context was. I know what the context was. And what she did is different than a normal trash talking situation. It is. If you don't think so, we just will have to disagree on that. Um, She's a hell of a player, though. That's for sure. And I guess, by the way, like, she was at Maryland last year. These SEC schools, Tommy, they've got big-time NIL money. Somebody called in to the show today and told me that she's getting $250,000 a year in NIL money for women's college basketball at LSU. I can tell you this, that kind of NIL money is not available 
for women's basketball players at Maryland. So God bless her. And every player should, you know, that, that's where we are in college sports right now. You yes. know, we're getting, yes, we're getting really good players to stay longer in school because of the money, but they're not staying in the same place as long. Um, please, Juju, Julian Reese, Angel Reese's <laughs> brother, please don't leave Maryland. We need you back next year. And that could be a top 15, top 20 team. All right, a few more things, including something I learned about Magic Johnson being a part of the Josh Harris bid. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Tommy, tell me about Shelly's. Good place to watch the game tonight, I would assume, with a very good menu. Oh, absolutely. Great place to watch the game. Eight high-definition TVs, uh, beautiful, soft leather couches and chairs, uh, and a great uh, system to take the smoke out of the air so you're very comfortable. Even if you're there with somebody who doesn't smoke, uh, Look, I wanted to mention, I know I mentioned it before, we have officially announced that uh, on the D.C. Gray's website, uh, where you can buy tickets for the, the Cigars and Curveballs event at Shelley's Back Room on Monday, May 22nd, go to dcgrays.com. Uh, it's a party, okay? And I want to explain that at Shelley's, they host private parties all the time. And let me just say, I mean, from, 10, from groups of 10, to 250 people, from cocktail receptions to sit-down dinners. They can provide a custom menu option to suit your needs and your budget. They accommodate non-smokers as well, based on the size of your party. I mean, really, if you're thinking of a place, a unique place, you want to win over 
uh, your coworkers. Have a party at Shelly's Back Room. If you're looking for a place to celebrate somebody's birthday, check out Shelly's Back Room. It, it, it's a unique place, something that the people you're with will never forget. And, uh, you know, it, it, Shelly's has been a great host for our D.C. Gray's event ever since we started it like seven years ago. Shelly's Back Room at 1331 F Street, northwest in the district. So, Tommy, I was downtown last week. I went down to see a concert, and I had my D.C. Gray's hat on, the one that you uh, got for me. Uh, it's one of my favorite hats. I actually could use another one or two. Um, this one's already getting worn out. It's, I love the whole, I love the D.C. Gray's logo. Love the hats. Um, so maybe you, Chris might be listening, right? So he might get you a hat, an extra hat or two for me, maybe? Absolutely. Okay. I'm sure we can work out something. I might want to point out to people that you can buy D.C. Gray's merchandise on our website as well. There you go. So, dcgrays.com. And you know what? And I'm I can go I can go on the website and just buy it. Uh, no, I don't no, need, no, I, no, I don't no, need no, you no. to get it from me. No, 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 no. I can go no, on the website. No, you are and buy privileged. It. You're a privileged <laughs> figure in the DC Let me tell you community. let me Try tell you why I brought it up because when I was downtown late last week, um, I had the hat on and somebody came up to me and said, I should have known it was you because you're wearing Tommy's D.C. Grace hat. And he was a bartender at this place we got a drink at before, um, and he was very nice. And he said, I listen to the podcast all the time. I listen to the radio show all the time. Uh, so that D.C. Grace hat is an identifier for me, I think. By the way, remember, also, he said to me, and he reminded me, he said, you wore it with Van Pelt one night at one of the Maryland games. Uh, and that w- I guess there was a meme or something with me in that D.C. hat. So those are good-looking yeah. hats. Go buy some of those hats and any of the merchandise that they have. All right, I've got something before we finish up with a smell test and a prediction on the national championship game. Um, it has to do with Magic Johnson. So I've, I had multiple people, sources, tell me over the weekend that Magic Johnson is a significant investor in the Josh Harris bid. So the Josh Harris bid that, you know, as we know it, is Josh Harris, Mitchell Rails, uh, and Magic Johnson. Those are the people we know are in it. And we know that there are a lot more people in it because they've got to get to somewhere approaching $6 billion, even though I continually am told they're not going to $6 billion. I, I think the reporting last week from Schefter about the fully financed $6 billion bids from Apostolopoulos and Josh Harris, I don't think that that was accurate on the Harris bid. I think there's a way to dress it up and maybe look like it's to make it look like it's $6 billion, but I don't think the Harris bid is going to $6 billion. But anyway, that's not what I want to mention. Magic Johnson, Tommy, invested $50 million in 2012 into the L.A. Dodgers. That's a lot of money. He's going to invest two to three times that amount into the Washington Commanders as part of the Josh Harris bid. I've been, I've been told two to three times plus. This is not, you know, a few million bucks in Magic Johnson's part of the team. This is more likely than not going to be the third largest investor behind Harris and, and Rails in the Josh Harris bid. Magic Johnson, much more than just a face, 
of the Josh Harris bid and the team, he is going to be a major investor to the tune of, you know, somewhere between 100 to $150 million plus. Man, has he made a lot of money after basketball. Yeah, he has. Yep. Because remember, Tommy, the deal he signed, which at the time looked like one of the greatest deals of all time, it was a lifetime contract for $25 million, which Jerry Buss signed him to. It was not a good deal for Magic. And that was pretty much the last bad deal in business I think he made. Everything else he's touched has turned out to be great. I would love it if Magic... Like, I want the Josh Harris bid to be the bid, in part because I keep claiming that that's going to be the winning bid. So I do hope that that's the winning bid. I know that there's advantages to Bezos owning the team, especially as it relates to a stadium. I understand that. But, man, it would be cool to have Magic Johnson as a big part of ownership in the Washington team. That'd be pretty cool. All right, uh, let's get to my smell test and the final tonight. Kevin looks where the John Q. public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's time, time for the, the smell test. test. 2-0, Tommy, on Saturday's Final Four games. I had the over in the first game. That was never even close. It went way over. I think the game was over with like four and a half minutes to go, and I went under on the UConn-Miami game, uh, and that wasn't close. That was a no-sweat, uh, easy Saturday Final Four, if you followed the picks, 17-12 and 12 overall against the number for the tournament. And I've got one play left. Um, the number tonight is 7.5 and, and 132.5. I don't like either team in this game. Um, I think San Diego State actually has a chance. I really do. I think that, Really? Yeah, I think UConn... I mean, Connecticut, from what <laughs> I read, Connecticut has only trailed for 19 seconds. It was in to, the last three games. Yeah, and it was to Patino and Iona. Um, oh, in the last three. Well, they were actually down at halftime in the opener against Patino and Iona. Um, right. They've won by 24, 15, 23, 28, and 13. I mean, they are annihilating people. I think they have a chance to go through the tournament with the highest margin of victory if they win tonight uh, in NCAA tournament history. Um, I think San Diego – I'll get to my pick in a moment. I think San Diego State has a chance because they'll be the best defensive team that UConn's played, and UConn's played two awful defensive teams back-to-back in Miami and Gonzaga. All right, Gonzaga's terrible defensively. Miami's not much better. And now they're going to play the best defensive team in the tournament. And I also will just say what I said last week um, going into the Final Four – They have not won one close game they've been involved in all year long. All of their wins have been big, easy wins. The closest win they have all year long was back in early February at Georgetown when they won by six points. Every game decided by three points or less this year that they've been involved in, they've lost. So I think if San Diego, if, if San Diego State can put game pressure, score, clock, game pressure on UConn, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. Like, I'd like to see a 62-62 to 62 game with three minutes to go in the game. The smell test pick is this. The total's 132.5, and because... Uh, UConn's been blowing everybody out and been scoring an average of 80 a game in the tournament. They're all going over 132.5, which is their lowest total in the last three games. Under 132.5, the public is pounding the over at 132.5. 
I'll take the under 132.5 for one final smell test pick. And as far as the game goes, I don't really have a good feel for the game. But because the under appears to be the sharp side, which it is, I'll say San Diego State keeps it close and pulls off the upset like 60 to 59, something like that. Uh, I don't in, see in that. A, in, a, in a super low scoring game. But no no result. Like if UConn wins big, it's not going to surprise me. I just hope it stays under. Uh, do you have a prediction? I like UConn to win. I don't know how big they're going to win, but I like UConn to win the game. I love this guy, Sanago. Yeah, Sanago, yeah. Sanago. I love the way he plays. Yep. Okay, you so I'm, big man. I'm riding him. You, yes. Sanago, Sanogo, uh, Sanago, however you want to pronounce it. But he Sinoco. is. Sanogo um, is really good. You love the big men. And by the yes. way, he, he can shoot it a little bit. He had threes early in the game. Um, yeah, uh, UConn's really good. There's no doubt. They're really good. One other quick thing just before we leave you for the day. Uh, Kevin Willard lost Tony Skin last week. Tony Skin went back to his alma mater to coach at George Mason. He was a part of that Final Four team back in 2006. And he replaces Kim English, who took the Providence job after Ed Cooley left for Georgetown. Well, Kevin Willard uh, replaced Tony Skin today with Mike Jones. For those of you who know local basketball, you know that Mike was the longtime coach at DeMatha. He replaced Morgan Wooten and then left a few years ago to go take a job as an associate head coach at Virginia Tech. He is now joining Kevin Willard's staff at Maryland. And so now, Jameer Young, DeMatha player, you know, transferring in in the portal, staying at Maryland, I've heard for less NIL money than other schools were offering, including maybe Miami. And now you've got Hunter Dickinson in the portal. And a lot of Maryland fans believe that Hunter Dickinson could be headed back to Maryland after all of the nasty things he said about Maryland and Mark Turgeon in particular. Uh, If Maryland were to get Hunter Dickinson, and my personal view on this is, They're going to have to come up with a lot of NIL money for Hunter Dickinson because he's going where he gets paid. And they're going to have to come up with more money for Juju Reese. They've had to come up with more money for Jameer Young. So I don't know that Maryland's got the biggest NIL collective, you know, aggregate account. Um, But if Hunter Dickinson ended up in College Park with Juju Reese, I mean, Dickinson's big at 7'1", whatever he is, 7'1", 7'2", 7 feet, whatever it is. He can shoot threes. Reese is definitely more of a post player. That inside out with two big men, along with Jameer Young and Deshaun Harris-Smith, they'd be a top 10 preseason team next year. So Mike Mike Jones ends up uh, filling Tony Skin's spot. That is a big, big get for Kevin Willard. And obviously, he's got a lot of DeMatha ties and a lot of ties to the area um, for recruiting. Tony Skin was doing a great job recruiting. Willard's staff in general has been doing an excellent job of recruiting. All right, I'm done for the day. Do you have anything else to add? Any geography? Nope, I got lesson? nothing else for you, boss. All right, good show. Um, I would I, I would imagine that today is one of those shows that not everybody 
really enjoyed. So who knows? Maybe when we reconvene on Thursday, right? You're back in on your Tuesday, Thursday at the end of this week. Maybe we'll have another one-star review to read. I hope not. Let me just make this really clear. If you give us one star, there's a better chance I'm going to read the five-star reviews and ratings. Yeah, that's that's Kevin doing the you can't see me in front of you right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, look at my ring. Look at where the ring's going to go. Yeah. Today, today was an aberration. We're back to five-star <laughs> readings on Thursday. All right, have a great day. I'm back tomorrow. See you, boss.